And Blog we're coming to you live on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Brother Brandon Teague, and you are in the services of Faith Baptist Church, just south of Deport, Texas. And if you don't know where that is, don't feel bad. There's a lot of people in this world that don't know where that's at. So anyway, you're in good company. But uh, we're glad that you're here with us, and we're on the outskirts of nothing. So I'll put it that way. Uh, we, we're down with the cows, the coyotes, and and uh, down here in down here in God's country, we love it here. But anyway, uh, you are tuned in to the, the services of Faith Baptist Church, and you are here for part 131 of a sermon series started years ago, uh, entitled "Getting to Know Jesus." And every Sunday morning, as the Lord has allowed us, we have we have took a walk with Jesus through the Bible through his life. We started when he was still yet in Mary's womb, and uh, she visited her cousin Elizabeth, and, uh, and who was also pregnant at the time with John the Baptist. We worked our way forward, and we find ourselves now, and Jesus has just, be, uh, he has just finished a series of lessons for his disciples and those around him about childlike faith. We talked about how uh, how Christ he he let the little he he got aggravated at his disciples who didn't want the children to come to him and they didn't have Jesus didn't have time for them and he was he was too important and they weren't important enough and so Jesus Jesus really got on them about it and then he told the, the parable of the the uh, the rich man I mean, I'm sorry not the rich man he told the parable of uh, of the uh, well yeah it was the rich young ruler who came to him and he. He he was independent. He he didn't need really didn't need God. He just wanted to find out what he could do so he could have eternal life. And uh, he went away lost. And uh, he represented uh, independence, which which God through Christ was trying to tell us is not the way to God. Independence, we it's not a part of it. We need to depend on God. We need he he designed it that way. He didn't design for us to be uh, independent little gods on our own down here. He wants us to trust and walk after him as his own children. So those things have taken place. And I want us to take our Bible this morning and turn to chapter 20 of Matthew. Chapter 20 of Matthew, and we're going to look there in verses 17, 18, and 19. That will be our text verses for the day. We're also going to look over in Mark uh, chapter 10 and also in Luke chapter 18. So if you want to mark those places, so you'll you'll have them ready to turn to when we get there. Mark chapter ten, and uh, in Mark chapter ten, I'll tell you where that the text is. In Mark chapter ten, it's beginning verse thirty-two, and then our text over in Luke. Find that, and I'll tell you exactly where that's at. It's Luke chapter eighteen, and it's verse thirty-one through thirty-four. And these three passages cover the same information, but they're given from three different observers, so they're going to have different pieces of information in them. So that I want you to I want you to keep those in mind before we get started. But anyway, we're going to talk this morning. Jesus, again, he's just finished giving these parables. He's taught on the, uh, the laborers in the vineyard last week uh, on how, you know, it's God's grace that he gives to us, and we're not to... We're not to uh, <coughs> We're not to we're not to frustrate that grace by feeling like we're important. God doesn't really need us, and you know God's gracious to us. God is kind and merciful to us. 
God is giving toward us, loving toward us, but we don't deserve any of it. Every bit of it is a blessing from him. And he finishes all these discourses, and then he takes off walking toward Jerusalem. Now, you remember what, what's been said, that, you know, they, they're on the lookout for Jesus in Jerusalem. You remember some of them musing, saying, you know, will he even show They were asking that question. Why? Because they were looking for him. They, they, were ready to, they were ready for his demise. They'd had about enough of Jesus, and they were looking to put an end to him. So he knows that, that when he heads for Jerusalem, it's the end. He knows this. Uh, of his earthly life. So as we look at this, as we look at this message this morning, if you want to put a title on it this morning, it's a private moment with Jesus, a private moment with Jesus. And as we as we've been going through this sermon series, what's the title of it? It's getting to know Jesus. So in a private moment with Jesus, surely we're going to get to know Jesus more clearly. Uh, as we as we take this private moment with him, I'll, I'll, we're going to look at three things. Okay, in this message. Number one, we're going to look at his private conversation that he had with his disciples. Number two, we're going to look at his private thoughts that he had along the way. And number three, we're going to look at him dwelling on the details of his death and resurrection. So if you would, let's let's look there in chapter 20 of Matthew, and we'll read verses 17, 18, and 19. We'll pray, and then we'll get into this even further. All right, and it says, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the chief, unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne this morning. And Lord, if I have one urgent request on my heart and mind today, it is, Lord, allow me to escape this flesh. Lord, allow this, this allow me to escape the bonds of this flesh, Lord, long enough to be able to see beyond it, long enough to be able to put myself there on the path with Jesus and the other disciples in my mind, in my imagination, Lord, in my spirit. Lord, I pray you'd allow me to be there to walk, to Lord, to, to hear, to see, to experience what they experience, Lord, that I'm able to communicate, Lord, in words, the things that you would have us to learn from this today. What a, what a, a pivotal time, an important time in the walk of Jesus Christ on earth. Lord, help us to, to step back somehow to look with these dim eyes and to see what only what only the Holy Ghost can reveal. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit of God, please, please come and, and meet and gather with us today in this room. I pray for each one who's tuned in and will tune into this broadcast. Holy Ghost of God, show up with them. Dwell there with them. Deal with their hearts. Help us, Lord, to put aside everything that would stand between us and the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we cast it all down, every thought, every distraction, every urge, Lord, everything. May it be set aside for now, and may Jesus get all our attention. We give you all the glory and praise today, Lord. We thank you 
And we ask for it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. I'll try not to be too long this morning. I just want us to I, – I really want us to meditate on what we're looking at today. Understand that, that this is – I said this is a very crucial, very important time because he's just revealed to his disciples what's about to happen. He's just told them, and, and as we look at the other gospels along the way – we'll see that he gave even more explicit details about what's to happen. But he did. He, he, he spoke to them as they went. And, I, and the first thing I want us to look at this morning is his private conversation that he had with them. It says in verse 17 there, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way. Now, what does that mean? He took them apart in the way. It means that he, there were other people there with them. There were other people who were, who were there that they had been ministering to. There were other people who'd shown up needing healing and, and different things. But he didn't address the entire mass of the crowd. He took apart from everybody else his 12. He took them apart in private to tell them these things. And I see something in that, something I think we all ought to see that those who walk the closest are the ones who get to see and hear the most. If we're just stragglers along through life and we're really not trying to be close to the Lord, we're really not, we're not seeking that relationship. Understand that Jesus Christ is always seeking closeness to us. There is not a time when Jesus wishes we would leave him alone. He always wants us to come closer. He always wants us to learn more. He always wants to teach us more. He always wants to comfort us more. He always wants to love us more. He's yearning for us to come to him. He bought and paid for us. There's no reason in the world why he'd want us to be strangers, why he'd want us to be stragglers and uninvolved and, and blah about the Christian life. God help us if we're blah in our Christian life. We ought to be taken out behind the woodshed and whipped is what we ought to be for that kind of an attitude toward Christ who did all he did for us. And I'm not saying that to be ugly or mean this morning, but I'm being honest. We're all a bunch of spoiled little rotten brats if we can't come to Jesus like we ought to. We ought to be taken out and horse whipped to realize how he paid that debt for us and we treat it as if it were some small thing. God help us. I mean, we're living, in the, we're living in the last days, folks. We're living in the Laodicean age of the church where everything is so lukewarm, so watered down, so wrecked with entertainment and, 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 and things to draw people in. It's, it's a disgusting, sickening mess. And the attention, the, the, the light is not on Jesus. The light is on people's creature comforts. The light is on people's enjoyment. It's not on Christ and his suffering. It's not, it's not on anything that matters to the Christian life. It's all today on show. It's all on joy and um, joyful entertainment, making our flesh feel better. Now, I didn't, I didn't think about all that before I got up here to say that, but I want to say it loud and clear. All of us need a good hind-end whooping. It's what we really need because we know if we're honest with ourselves, we're not close enough. We're not close like we ought to be to Jesus, not like he wants us to be. But if we would get closer, hear me, if we would get closer, we would understand more than we understand now. If we would get closer, what he's done for us would become 
clearer in our vision. We would, we would yearn to learn more. We would have a desire, a thirst to hunger and thirst. He said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's not much hunger and thirst in us like there should be. And that's what's wrong. We have, we have satisfied ourselves on, on empty junk food of this world that does not satisfy, and that's why people are depressed. That's why people are all uh, full of anxiety. That's why this world has got us turned on our head. We are always searching for something to fill a void that God designed for us to fill with his presence. Now, now that I've said all that and got all off my chest, like I said, if you want, if you want to be in his inner circle, you've got to desire it. He'll let you in, but you've got to desire it. So he brought his leaders in. He brought his leaders in. You say, well, how do I become a, good, how do I become a leader? Well, you've got to be a good follower. You can't lead anybody else if you don't know how to follow. Honestly, you can't. So these were, were they who followed him the closest. So he brought them in to talk to them. Understand this too. The Bible talks about us being vessels. Okay? God has us designed. We're, we're, the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Okay, God, God pours himself into us as vessels. And we're to take those vessels to people who don't have him and pour him out to them. And then go back to him and be filled again and be taken out to others who are dry and thirsty and pour him out to them and go back to the well and get full again and go back again and pour. It's a constant filling and pouring out. Filling and pouring out. That's what we do when we sit down and read our Bible. We get filled. That's what we do when we sit and talk to the Lord in prayer and, and we know that he's heard our prayer. It fills us up with his with the, with the assurance that God is working in our life. It strengthens our time that we had in, in, in Bible study. And we take that, and that's a part of us, in our sweet communion with him. And then when we get around others, we pour that out. And see, by, by, by constantly filling up and fill, pouring out and filling up and pouring out, guess what we say? We stay wet. We enjoy, we enjoy the living water as we carry it. We have a constant supply of it flowing through our life. We don't have to be dry. We don't have to be thirsty. We can be satisfied with his presence, but we have got to yearn for it. We've got to allow him to use us. We've got to want to be filled. What can I say to you? Get to know Jesus. That's what this whole sermon series is about. And if we've come this far and we've still not gotten to know Jesus, it's not his fault. I assure you of that. It's because you weren't paying attention. Now, he talked to him Again, it was private. But it was on the way to a great trial. Jesus is about to face the greatest trial of his earthly life. And he was telling them, as he said, he said, behold, we go. We go up to Jerusalem. He was taking them with him. They were going to endure trials as well. Peter endured a trial by the fire out there and he failed. John Mark endured a trial and he escaped uh, with a, he escaped naked into the night. Somebody grabbed his clothes. Uh, listen, they all ran. They all fled. They endured a trial. 
and they would carry their own cross. And they would all but John face martyrdom and, and drink of his cup. They would all. Listen, as a follower of Christ, we're not promised a rose garden. We're not promised a bed of roses. We're promised thorns. But he is there to give us grace to get through the thorns of life. But we're going listen, if he if if he is our if he is our master, if he is our Lord, we shouldn't expect anything more than persecution and tribulation. But he is going to be with us and give us his amazing grace in the midst of it. And he's going to allow us to, to experience something greater in those tribulations and persecutions than we would ever have experienced in a in a life of ease and comfort. You know the great thing about his disciples? I say the great thing. But the interesting thing about his disciples, he was telling them all this, but they wouldn't understand it while it was going on. They didn't see it. Even though they were going through it. Even though he told them ahead of time. He said exactly. He said, listen, we're going to go and I'm going to be betrayed and, and they're going to condemn me to death and they're going to deliver me to the Gentiles and they're going to mock and they're going to scourge me and they're going to crucify me. And I'm going to rise again. He told them. But you see, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They thought, well, he's giving us some kind of parable again. Maybe he's speaking in esoteric terms. Maybe he's just talking big words and, and trying to teach us some principles or something. They couldn't understand. All they knew was they were going somewhere where there was going to be danger. And they were afraid. In his private conversation, he spoke of the scriptures. I want you to look over in Luke for a minute. It's the same same story, just a different storyteller. Luke chapter 18. Verse 31 there in chapter 18, the Bible says, Then he took them, he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, behold, I'm sorry, I've read it again, and all things that are written, listen to that, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. What is he doing? He's referencing that he is fulfilling all of the prophecies that have been made about the Son of Man, about the Messiah. He's saying right there, I'm fulfilling the Scriptures. I'm doing what they said was going to happen. All things, not some things, not a few things, but all things. There's no way that he wasn't the Messiah. There's no way that he was an imposter. He fulfilled every prophecy ever given about him down through the Bible. Christ never, ever, ever contradicts his word. you got people today in churches making claims and saying, uh, saying some of the most outlandish things and claiming that Jesus is the one who's backing them up when it don't come anywhere close to the word of God. People claiming, uh, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord ain't never spoke in that direction one time. You've got people acting ways and doing things and, and saying that God is okay with, with homosexuality, with sodomy, with, with all these horrible uh, atrocities and all this lewdness. And they're saying that, you know, God's love, so God is... It's okay with all. No, God's not okay with anything that goes against his word. Not one thing is God okay with. He never, ever 
goes against his word. But when we read his word, when we shut the world out, when we sit down with God Almighty and we humble ourselves in our heart and our mind and our spirit and we come before his throne and we let him talk to us and let him teach us, he speaks to us. The God of all creation will talk to me. He will talk to you. He will reveal his love. He will reveal himself to you. He's not going to give you something that... He's not ever going to give you something in your heart that contradicts his word. Keep that in mind. What does he do when we read his word? He opens our understanding. He allows us to see things that we didn't see before clearly. You see, again... His disciples, they, 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 they heard him, but they couldn't understand it. Isn't that the way sometimes with us? We're going through something, we're right in the middle of something, and we're like, I don't understand why God's doing all this. And on the backside of it, we look at it and we say, oh, I see exactly what he was doing. He was trying to teach me something. He was trying to show me something. He was cutting something something uh, uh, awful out of my life that was, that was destroying me or destroying my walk or destroying my, my testimony. He was doing that for my benefit, even though it was uncomfortable at the time. God often works like that. And we don't understand him until we get closer to him. You see, his disciples, it was eventually, they eventually it was all revealed to them, and they understood it perfectly. But not while they were going through it. But they're on their way. He's having a talk with them as, we're, as they're walking. He talked to him about his own suffering and death. And we're going to talk about it in more more detail here in just a minute. But he didn't talk about it with dread and fear. He talked about it plain, plainly. He talked about what he was going to have to endure. Again, he didn't mince words very, very plainly and very clearly. And then he talked about his resurrection. He talked about their share in it. Again, they had a share in it all. He said, behold, we go up. Again, it's us. You're going with me. You're going to watch what I go through. You're going to endure it alongside me. You're going to have to, and listen, every single one of us, have to make that walk with Jesus. Every single one of us have to realize that, listen, what he's doing, where he's going, that's for me. He's not going there just because he wants to. He's not going there just so it's all fulfilled. He's doing it with a purpose. He's doing it for me. Oh, if we could just get our mind wrapped around that, if we could just turn loose of all the garbage of life and just focus ourselves on that Jesus is going to die for me. Again, it went right over their heads. He told them, I'm going to die for you. Went right over their heads. He had just recently spoken to them. Again, as we go back, he had just recently spoken to them of, of independence and dependence. He had just... Just shortly before that, God took the kids of them with his children. And he told them, except you have faith as a child, you shall not hear. And 
with a childlike faith. You've got to understand they weren't. Otherwise, he wouldn't have scolded them just before for, for not having a childlike faith. He was letting them know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't get your mind straight on this, you're never going to get it. And they missed, they missed the simplicity. I mean, how do, you, how do you miss this? How do you miss it? He, when, he, when, he, when he says so plainly, he says, he said, they shall condemn him to death and deliver him to, to, to the Gentiles to mock, scourge, and to crucify him. How do you miss that? It's as simple as can be. But they missed it. They missed the simplicity of his message and his words. Why? Because so many times we take something so simple from the Bible and we want to put a new twist on it so somebody thinks we're intelligent. How many preachers this morning stood up behind a pulpit and, and, and preached some kind of harebrained doctrine that they have heard and read from somebody else that didn't come out of the Bible. I could go down a list of things, and I'm not going to because I don't have time to. But there's so many crazy, far-fetched ideas about the Bible that aren't in the Bible. How do you get there? How do you, how do you, come, up, how do you come up with, with uh, purgatory? How do you come up with, with, uh, with infant baptism? How do you come up with, with an apology in the gap theory for dinosaurs and saying that there was a world before this world? How do you come up with all that stuff? Where do you find that? It's not in the Bible. No, men want to show how important and how smart they are, and so they get hung up on ideas that have that, that they're not they're not rooted and founded in Scripture. And so, in looking for some deep, deep, deep meaning, sometimes you miss the shallowness. Men would rather jump off into a great big black hole than to walk across a stream. Sometimes. Christ is simply saying this, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, and you're going to watch me. You're going, you're going there to see it, and it's going to affect you forever. <clears throat> Next, I want us to look at his private thoughts. Jesus talked about his suffering, and he talked about his death in great detail. Probably more so, not in dread at the moment. He talked about it in great detail. He looked, he looked forward to it. He looked forward to it. You know how I can tell you he looked forward to it? The Bible tells us, and I'm going to see if I can find the place where it says it. Look in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Mark chapter 10, verse 32, the Bible says, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Now, what does that tell you, first of all? They're all walking toward Jerusalem. 
but Jesus is up walking ahead of the rest of them. His, his pace is a little faster than theirs. They're all walking behind. Are we listening? Are we paying attention? Are we getting this this morning? Because I think it's very important that we do. Jesus is walking ahead of them as they're going up the road to Jerusalem. And they're following in behind him. And they realize the danger. They heard the words that were spoken before about it. We're going to kill him. They're, they're looking to get rid of Jesus. They know that. They know time and time again when he's been in Jerusalem, they have tried to push him off a cliff. I mean, they've tried to do everything they could. They've tried to slander him. They, they, they've tried to kill him numerous times. They've tried to catch him in, in, in blasphemy so many times so that they can rid the world of Jesus Christ. And the disciples know. So they're walking behind with intimidation in their hearts, with fear in their hearts, with dread in their hearts, walking behind Jesus, and Jesus is walking like a man on a mission. He's walking like a soldier headed to a battle. He's, he's headed with determination, with his face set in one direction. And they're walking behind him in amazement. I want to think about that. What, what was he thinking as he's walking with determination toward Jerusalem? Well, he knew it was his appointed hour to die. You realize that? He knew he was about to die. He knew he was about to suffer. He knew what he was going through. And he knew there was... He was racing to get there. I want us to look over in Hebrews chapter 12, if you would, for just for a second. I, I thought of the scripture when I, when I was studying this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. We're to look at him. Look at him the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was determined to do his Father's will for the joy that was set before him. That's what it says right there, the joy that was set before him as he's walking toward Jerusalem. Guess what? He had his eye on you and me. Are we listening? Jesus had you in his mind as he's walking to Jerusalem. He had me on his mind as he's walking to Jerusalem. He's not, listen, Jesus at that point, he's not thinking, oh, I'm going to suffer. Oh, I'm going to die. He's thinking, I'm going to save him and her and him and her and him and her. And the joy was set before him. He, he was looking toward the finish line, folks. He wasn't like us. He's not dreading the pain he had to go through as if he wouldn't make it through it. He knew he'd make it through it. And he's looking at the finish line. You say, what finish line? The resurrection. When that dark night of the soul is over and he came out into the light of day, that's where he's headed. Everything else is just along the way. He knew what he had to go through first. Oh, it was on his mind, but he wasn't afraid. He Listen, he knew he had to go through grief. He knew he was going to face grief. 
He knew he was going to spend a night in the garden with bloody sweat pouring from his veins, breaking free from his capillaries, coming out his pores, dripping down his body, sweating blood under the strain of the cup that he had to drink. He said, what cup? I mean our sin, your sin. The things that you have done in your darkness undercover when nobody else watches, the things that go through your mind and you entertain doing and enjoying and, and relishing, the things that you feel like you can't, you can't uh, somehow break free from. Listen to me. It's those things that he was facing. It's the punishment for those things that Jesus was facing. Not a bit of guilt of his own. And when that was poured upon him, the weight of that was almost more than his physical body could bear. He knew he had to endure the mockery. Mockery from the chief priests and the scribes as they smote upon his cheek and they made fun of him. Mockery from the Roman soldiers who played a game called hot hand where they blindfolded him and, and one would punch him with all his might and they would make him prophesy unto them who hit him. They reached and they grabbed his beard and they pulled his hair from his face and they sucked their sinuses clean and they coughed up their mucus and they spit it on his face. They stripped him of his garments. They took that crown of thorns and they beat it with a with a big stick until the thorns pierced down into his and rubbed up against his skull under his skin. And blood ran down his face, which was beaten and swollen. He knew he had to endure that. And they made fun of him and they laughed at him. They mocked him as if he were nothing. There he stood, the God of all creation, being mocked by his creation. He knew he had to endure the torture of the whipping post. I read about that scourging this morning just to refresh my memory. Bone and metal braided in to leather whips. Cat of nine tails, nine strands of braided leather with metal and bone. <coughs> that whip was thrown and it wrapped around the legs. It wrapped around the back. Wrapped around the loins. Sometimes the one who did the scourging would wrap it around the, the, the midsection to rip the stomach open. Sometimes wrap it around the face to rip the face open. He knew he had to endure that. He knew his flesh would be in ribbons when he was done. Most times people passed out. Not too often, but often enough they died. Not only that, he knew he had to face the anguish of the cross. He knew his hands would be held down and a spike would be driven through his hands into the wood. He knew his feet would be crossed and a spike would be driven through the bones of his legs and ankles into the wood. He knew He knew he'd hang there fighting for each breath as the blood poured out of each and every wound on his body and dripped drip down onto the ground. He knew, he, he knew the blood was going to pour from his body. But not only that, 
He knew the Father was going to desert him. He knew that in his in his hour of agony on the cross, when the sun refused to shine its light anymore, he knew that in that moment, his heavenly Father would turn his back on the Son who had become sin. And there he would hang alone in that blackness of death. And he knew the hour of death would come upon him. I want to share with you from Psalm chapter 22. It's a psalm that's written very much for the, from, the, from the cross perspective. I'll not read it all, but I'm going to read some of it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men and despise the people. All they that, that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my brother, mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth under the, unto my jaws. Thou hast brought me unto the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. He knew that was coming. Do you know what else he knew was coming? The finish line. Jesus didn't let that slow his pace. You know what? We shouldn't let we shouldn't let trials and tribulations slow ours either. We're going to have to go through them. That's the thing. We'll go through them. Some of the greatest words in the Bible was, "It came to pass." I'm going to finish up by saying this: that not only do we hear his private conversation, not only do we look at his private thoughts. But I want us to look lastly that he dwelled on the details. He dwelled on the details. As we look back in our text again this morning, verse 18, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. There's one word in there that sticks out among the rest. He was betrayed. Betrayed. 
it wasn't as though some somebody off the street betrayed him. It was one who walked with him for three years. The one every night they laid down in the same place. He laid down there too. Every meal that was eaten, he ate too. Every step that was taken, he stepped there too. Every situation that Jesus came into and through, he went to and through as well. And yet, he, 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 he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver for a small price. He was supposed to be his friend. He was supposed to be his follower. By all accounts, to everyone else, he was. He deceived everyone else but Jesus. And here Jesus says, before they ever get to Jerusalem, that one's going to betray me. How did he betray? With a kiss. Not with a harsh word, with a kiss. Can I tell you something? People are still betraying God. It hasn't stopped. The churches in America are betraying God. They've turned to every lie. They've turned away from the book. They've turned away from the blood. They've turned away from, from a testimony. They've turned away from, from, from outreach. They've turned away from everything. God has been betrayed by his own people in America. And America is going to fall because America has turned her back on God. God is betrayed. The Bible says he was betrayed under the chief priests and the scribes. You know, those men knew the Old Testament or the Torah as well as anybody knew the, knew the Old Testament. There's no reason why they couldn't have seen that he was who he said he was. There's no reason why they should have missed. They knew all the prophecies. They knew it backwards and forwards. They should have seen that he was the one who was to come. But why didn't they see it? They couldn't see the simplicity of the gospel. Again, just as he said, you've got to have the faith of a child. They should have defended him, but they didn't. The Bible says, and they shall condemn him to death. There it is. They, they, they're guilty, right? Those Jews are guilty. Hey, so many people get mad at the Jews. Well, guess what? Wasn't just the Jews. No. Look what the next thing it says. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And there we are. Not just the Jews. No. God made sure to include us all. He was delivered to the Gentiles to mock him, to scourge him. That's not all they did, by the way. You know, again, there's there's other there's other places in, in, in Mark 10 where it gives that same testimony. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him. Jesus said that on the way there. They're going to spit on me. How did they miss it? It went right over their heads. They were shocked when he died. They didn't know what to do when he died. 
Peter said, I'm going back to the fishing boats. I'm through with this preaching thing. They didn't know what to do. Thomas said, I don't believe all this. There was so many of them, they didn't understand it. But he, he told them. He told them so clearly. Folks, we're all guilty. You put him on that cross. I put him on that cross. He's going to die for you. Do you understand that? He's going to die for you and for your dirty sins and for my dirty sins. He's going to die to give us eternal life so that we can have an abundant life and not have to live down in the dirt and the slime and the filth. We don't have to. We don't have to live a complacent life with no purpose and no meaning and go around sad with our lips sticking out and feeling sorry for ourselves and being a bunch of sad sacks. God called us to have an abundant life. It ain't his fault if you don't enjoy it. No. He went to the Gentiles and they mocked him. They laughed at him. They said, look at him. We thought God loved him. Look at him. If he loves him, why don't we take him down from there? They had no compassion on him. They wanted him dead. And he told them, they're going to do that. They're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to tear me from piece to piece. They're going to, they're going to tear me up. And they're going to nail me to that cross. They're going to put me up there, hang me between heaven and earth. But he told them this too. Death can't hold me. I'm coming out of that grave. I'm coming out of that grave. Listen to me. Do you realize why we're meeting on Sunday morning? It's because he rose on Sunday morning. That's the reason we don't meet on Saturday. We meet on Sunday. Why? The Lord rose on Sunday. And every time we gather together, every time we sit and we open our Bibles and, we, and, and I preach and we sing these songs on Sunday, we are commemorating the fact that that grave is empty. Jesus, leaving that place, headed toward Jerusalem, knowing what he had to go through, but not, con- not considering it, not letting it stop him. No, he went with a speedy step to get through it to the other side to the glory that was to come. And you and I, as we go through this life, may we go at it with a speedy step, knowing that whatever we got to go through, whatever we got to face, he's going through it with us. He's not, we'll never be a moment without him. He'll take us through every step, through every dark valley, through everything. Just as David said in the 23rd Psalm, he's my shepherd and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He, he shelters me in that dark valley. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runs over. Why? Because he's already went through that valley. He's already made it through. We're going to the cross. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to get it on your mind. He wants you to meditate on what he's done for you. Meditation on that would do you some good. And I want to say to you this morning, if it's been a while since you've thought about what Jesus has done for you, get on your knees and ask him to forgive you. It ought to be on our mind daily. 
it ought to be the most important thought that ever coursed through our brain, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Can I tell you this morning that in my 20s, I found myself so far away from God. I found myself running from God. And when God came to where I was and I turned around, I, I, I said just minutes after God rescued me from my own way, what I need to remember for the rest of my life is that Jesus died for me and paid for my sins. I need to have that on the forefront of my mind. And I'm going to tell you, it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to get backslidden and cold. All you have to do is absolutely nothing. If we if we're not if we're not headed upstream with Jesus, we're going to we're going to sail right back downstream. You don't stand still. You're either moving forward or you're going backwards. Ask yourself today, where am I at with my walk with the Lord? Let's pray. Father, I come before you now and I ask you, Lord, on behalf of these in the room, Lord, on behalf of those who are listening in, Father, I pray, Lord, you know them, you know their situation, you know the state of their soul. Lord, you know exactly what each one needs. I pray the Holy Ghost would convict us. I pray the Holy Ghost of God would would work in us to mold us into the image of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would we would seek repentance, Lord, for anything that's hindering our walk with you. Lord, we would seek to repent. Father, I pray you break some hearts. Break us, Lord. Break us of our own way. Break us of our backslidings. Remind us, Lord. Lord, as that gospel song says, roll back the curtain of memory now and then and show us where you brought us from and where we could have been. I think sometimes we get so high-minded we forget where we were when you found us. Lord, I just pray you forgive us. Forgive our sins. Forgive our weakness. Forgive. Lord, so many times we go through things and we don't understand and we get mad and we don't understand why you're doing allowing certain things to happen. Forgive us for our foolishness. Forgive us for failing to trust that you know the way. Father, I pray that we come to you with a humble heart and we ask you to forgive us for not trusting you like we should have. Lord, I pray for the one out there, Lord, that's never trusted you. Maybe today's the first time they've clearly heard that Jesus died for their sins. I want you to know something, friend. The blood paid your price. And that blood can save you. If you'll put your faith in Jesus, that his blood paid the price that that God required, and your sins can be gone in an instant. If you, by faith, would turn to Jesus Christ in repentance, Turn from your way. Turn from your sin. Turn to him. Be willing to turn to God. I know you don't have the power to turn from your own sins, but be willing to turn to God. He'll give you that power. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I pray for you. I pray for your family. I pray for everyone in your life. Let your light shine. For Jesus' sake. Lord, please go with us throughout this week. We pray your blessing, Lord, on each and every one of us. We pray healing for those in need of it. We pray for strength for those who are weak. 
And, Lord, we pray for humility for those who are proud. Father, I just pray you have your work and your will and your way in each one of our lives, and we'll give you the glory and the praise ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen.